I'm always so grateful for God for the gift of music. He is a creative God. Um, before I jump into my text, there, I, I just want to remind us of a few things. One is that we will have our share service on the 21st. And so um, be thinking about your place in that. It's, it's a congregational service where you have an opportunity to express your thanks to God, give a testimony of thanksgiving. And so we need to hear from you. We want to hear what God is doing in your heart. It could be 45 seconds, one minute, or several minutes. So be thinking about that. I like to try to plan in advance so I know who would like to share. That way, not just one person gets up and the service is over and then I have to fill fill the silence with my preaching. Or that way... The service just goes on and on and on and on because everybody in the congregation came prepared to share something. Um, That happened one time. I I encouraged everybody to come prepared to share something, and they did. And we were here a long time. Because once you ask, you know, you can't just say, now I don't want to change my mind. I don't want to hear what you have to say. So I would just appreciate you praying about that. But we really do need to hear from you. God moves your heart. What is he doing? And that's how we edify one another, which is one of the reasons we exist as a church is to edify the saints. And that's a great opportunity. Um, another reminder is there is a Warren Care Group sign-up sheet in the foyer. So if you'd like to be a part of that, please uh, put your names on that sheet. Also, we have our traditional Hanging of the Greens service on November 28th. And Marie Roberts will be heading that up for us, uh, that for us this year. And that's where we spend the service just decorating the church. And it's also the first day of Advent where we just prepare our hearts for the coming of the King and behold his beauty. We also have a work day next Saturday. I think it's November 6th. Um, And then that's. The following day is daylight saving, so we'll fall back. So there's something for everybody going on here, right? And also, if you notice the bulletin, there's lots of birthdays going on. Our, our little kids are getting older. I was asking some of them this morning. They had a little group over here, and we had somebody turning 7, 8, 9. And then there was a 10 and 11-year-old there as well. So lots going on. Thank the Lord for that. We are in... The book of 2 Corinthians, it's the Apostle Paul, one of the things he did, the way God used him. He didn't just go from town to town preaching the gospel and ministering to people. He also wrote letters to the churches where he had planted churches. There were questions. They, you know, you come to Christ and you want to know more about God and you want to know more about what he expects. And now that you love him, how do I live for him? And What do you do when this happens in life? And what do you do about all the sinners that you have to deal with? What do you do about your own sin? And what do you do about suffering? And so the Apostle Paul in different letters covers different topics. And in our passage today, uh, we are looking at suffering. And we have found that there is what I'm I'm just calling it a Christian plan of suffering. And that's simply because... Christian, there's a Christian way to do everything, including suffering, because God's word is truth. And he he gives us principles and, and rocks to build our lives on. And so one of the things that he has given us in this in his word 
is, well, what do we do with suffering? How do we approach it? What kind of perspective should we have on it? Because it's in our world. It's indiscriminate. We all have to, it's universal, it's indiscriminate. We all have to deal with it. We all have to think about it. And so I think, could be wrong, but I think perhaps this message may be the most challenging for us as we close out this section of Scripture in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 18. And in this passage, there, there are two themes, I guess maybe overall themes, if you will. And one of those is something that I would venture to say we all want. We all want this in our lives. And the other one is something that I would venture to say that none of us want. And the thing that we'll find in this passage that I would say that we all want is that we all want to not lose heart. None, none of us want to lose heart. We, we don't come in here wanting to lose heart. We don't, we don't, that's not our aim in life. Uh, we don't want to ever get to this place where, where we sink so low in pain, so low in sorrow and, and suffering and, and the happenings of this world that we just can't get out of it and we're stuck. That's not what we want. What we do want is to be renewed. What we do want is to rise up. We want to look above it. We want to know that there's more than what's in our life at that particular moment. And this passage will help us with that. So 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 18. We've read it. This will be the third week in a row now. You know it by heart. I probably should have you recite it to me. But I'll read it just in case you don't know it by heart. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Christ, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal way to glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but things that are unseen are eternal. So who wants to lose heart and who does not want to lose heart? I am pretty confident based on 
my observations of how you came into this sanctuary this morning and began to engage in different conversations and and flit about and enjoy the children and the babies that are being born to us, that you didn't come in here saying or wishing or hoping. I hope the worship team plays songs that, that, that just throw me down into despair. Hopeless songs that remind me how hopeless my life is. And I, I hope Pastor Paul's sermon just, just knocks the final little bit of life that's left in me and sinks me down into the depths. And I hope that I leave church today just with the confirmation that there is no hope in life and that I am stuck. I have nothing left and nothing to give. That's not how we're wired. Now, we we may get stuck like that. We may have those thoughts, but that's not how We're wired. We're wired to not want to be in that place. We're wired to want to feel alive. I want to come here and be filled with hope. I want to live to leave this place filled with more vigor, with more life in Christ and more hope. I want to leave this place with a better perspective on life than when I came in. And I think God's word will enable us to do that this morning. And that is by just helping us. Heaven wants to help us this morning with a heavenly perspective on how not just to tackle, but how to look and think about what we may be experiencing in our lives. So let's I want to kind of uh, follow Paul's train of thought here. And in verse 16, he says, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day day. Uh, So we do not lose heart. That word so could also be translated therefore, and we have been trained at New Covenant Fellowship. If there's a a therefore in Scripture, we want to find out what it's there for. So what is the so or what is the therefore? And he has already talked about verses 7 through 15 before he got to verse 16. So it's all of that. It's all the We're afflicted every way. We're we're not crushed. We are. We're perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, and so forth. All of that is the therefore. Because all of that has happened, we do not lose heart. Now, that's an amazing statement. Because when I read that kind of life, when I read if somebody shared that all of this happened to them, I might think, well, he's going to say, and I lost heart. Because that just makes more sense when we suffer like that. And yet the Apostle Paul says, because of all this bad that happened to me, I don't lose heart. How can he do that? What does he have? What, how does he, does, does pain not hurt him in the same way? Does being betrayed or mocked not affect his heart and diminish him in the same way as it does for us? No, it's because of the painful sufferings it's he, he he's not saying well i don't lose heart because life is so good and easy for me i have no reason to lose heart he's saying because life has been almost nearly impossibly difficult i don't lose hope and so the therefore 
springs into a four. And look at verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal way to glory beyond all comparison. That's what I want for myself. That's what I want for everybody in here, for this church, is to have this perspective on life that everything that God does, that everything that He that He brings into our lives, sure, there's there's the hard things, there's the easy things, there's the dismal things, there's delightful things, but there, there's a purpose for all of it. In the end is glory. We talked about glory already, that weight, that heaviness, that presence of something beautiful and wonderful. That's the direction that it is all headed. So may we not get stuck in our disappointments, in the ruts that life can throw at us, but yet be prepared and be encouraged for what is in store for us beyond. John Piper, um, Pastor John Piper, I like the way he approaches this this passage. He sees um, this verse as the pinnacle. Uh, Verse 16 as the pinnacle. And the other verses that come before it as uh, supporting walls, if you will. So you have the pinnacle of the verse or the top of the triangle. And then you have what comes before this verse as one wall that holds it up because that's the pinnacle. That's what we want. None of us want to lose heart. And then the other wall, verses that come after it as sidewall two, if you will. So what's the verses that come before it, verses 7 through 15? What's the wall that supports this perspective of I do not lose, do not lose heart? This is kind of, I guess, the suffering side of things, the, the dying side of things, where the apostle admits, I'm dying, we're, we're dying. And it's, it's a physical death. He's aware of a physical death. He's also aware of, a, of the death to self. You know, when you become a Christian, God calls you to die to self. That's not a fun thing to do. Maybe it's different for you, but I resist it because I love sin and the flesh, you know, it's part of me. And I got to give it up and submit it to Christ. There's a little ripping and tearing. It's, a, it's an offering. It's a sacrifice. There's a smell of burning things going on sometimes when I am choosing Christ over the flesh. And so he, he knows that. But this is also the physical part. It's a little bit of curse language. It's the Genesis 2 where death enters in because of man eating the forbidden fruit. And therefore he fell under the consequences of of the curse. We call it the fall. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Genesis 2.16. And we have been, mankind has been dying ever since. All of creation is dying, so to speak. And it's so intense. The, the curse and the burden of the fall is so heavy that Romans tells us that creation just groans. It's moaning for relief. From this burden of the curse. Because everything is not like it should be. The sigh. The world sighs. We sigh. Mankind sighs from the heaviness and the burden of the fall. For we who live are always being given over to death. 
but it's for Jesus' sake. So there's also the suffering that occurs because you are living for Christ. We talked a little bit about that this morning in Sunday school when Kevin talked about evangelism. What is one of the, re- one of the many reasons why we might not evangelize? Well, rejection. I might get persecuted. I might get made fun of. That's not a good thing for Jesus' sake. It's not fun. It's not something I look forward to. So the Apostle Paul is just acknowledging that I live in a world, I live in a body where death is at work. And it needs relief. We need relief from this. A lot of times when we think about suffering and the curse and the death, you know, we attribute it to old age. Because if I say if my body's wasting away, you could, look at, you could look at me and say, yeah, you're not what you used to be. I definitely can see the age is being hard on you. I see the lines and so forth. But the curse is for everybody. I mean, we look at our young ones as, man, their life is just starting. But everybody feels the heaviness. Now, we, we've all fallen short, and the curse has to do with falling short. That means we never quite attain what we want to be, what we want to attain. So even in our youthfulness, I remember sometimes thinking that, you know, you're, you're young and you just go on forever. But there are still things in life you don't get. Now, you think about even the people that are at the top of their game, uh, for instance, say the strongest man in the world. I mean, you're the strongest man in the world. What else could you want but to be a little bit stronger, right? It's like we always fall short. Or the wisest man in the world, what else could you ask for? I mean, you beat everybody in the IQ test. You've solved all these problems. Well, I'd like to solve more problems. So under the curse, no matter who we are, what age we are, we, we still fall short. And we are aware of these things. It affects all of us, people of every age. Even forgiveness, when you think about the pain and the suffering, forgiveness, it, it, it forgives, it, it releases the burden of things, but it doesn't erase what happened. We still have pain and offense that we have to deal with in life. So the, the point of, I think, this passage is Paul's realizing, he's just being brutally honest, that life takes its toll on us and living for Christ takes its toll on us. Even the for Christ's sake part, it's hard. There, there are aspects to it. There are times in his life where he didn't know if he was going to come out alive or not. It takes its toll. And we hear the expression in our culture, man, that took a lot out of me. Life, just living, can take a lot out of us. That's the curse language here. So, I see Paul acknowledging two things. You have the wasting away, but then you have the renewal. That that, that the same day, that he's wasting away. He's also being renewed. So even in these times of persecution. Those moments, those minutes, those seconds. Where, where you're feeling the death and the loss. He's feeling invigorated. He's feeling uh, injections 
if you will, of, of life and hope. He's feeling like, man, in one sense, I don't know that I can go any longer. And yet, in the other sense, if I look at it a different way, I can go the distance. Whatever God has for me, I'm going to reach the finish line because Christ is in my life. So uh, I'm feeling the death, but I'm feeling the life. Uh, Woody Allen once said, um, you know, I don't really mind death. I'm not afraid of death as long as I don't have to be there when it happens. So death is at work in us. By the way, you know, like I said, there's, there's a Christian way to do everything. And there's even a Christian way to look at death, right? I mean, it is absolutely horrible and it's absolutely wonderful and beautiful. And if you think about, so death, death, death is hard and it's a loss. And we are creating the image of God and we love things. We get attached to things and we don't want to lose the things we love. But in this world, under the curse, death is also a tremendous, beautiful grace of God. Because can you imagine? We look, I can already talk to anybody these days that doesn't want to talk about how close we are to the end times. Boy, is this world going to pot. It's terrible. It's so evil and wicked because people are so sinful. They're, they're, they're just reaching new lows. Was this the world we want to be in forever? Do we want to be trapped in these bodies forever? Do we want to be falling short forever? Do we want to be diminishing forever? No. And so the way out of that, according to the Christian plan, is death. So it's when we die that we really come to life, according to the Christian plan. So it's terrible, it's miserable, but it's wonderful and beautiful. So how do we do it? How do we accept the decaying of the body and the ebbing away of this earthly life? Well, Paul says, first of all, in verse 7, Human weakness brings glory to God. So what keeps him going? One of the things is knowing that when he is weak, that that process is actually bringing glory to God. Now, we exist to bring glory to God. So we have this treasure in jars of clay, verse 7, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. There are... By God's design, moments in our lives where he's going to get glory out of our weakness. Where we don't shine. We're not the best on the team or the top of the class. Or didn't deliver that sermon that just changed people's lives forever. Or pray that prayer that, that healed somebody. from. So in our weakness, in, our weakness in designed in the fabric of life, is God getting glory out of that. Because then people see God and not you. It helps us get out of the way. And our tendency is to be the one in people's focus. So in, in our weakness, the power belongs to God and God gets glory in that. We like to think of the power of God and pray for the power of God and experience the power of God in the most notable way, say the supernatural. You know, in my way of thinking, I used to think this way all the time. God, why don't you just do this miracle in this person's life and then they'll believe? I mean, 
you know, do the fleece thing or the splitting of the water thing. And, and God does do supernatural things, so people believe. But that's the, that's the display of power that is just obviously of God and gives God glory. You think about even the message of the gospel. Why would anybody want to believe the message of the gospel? I mean, there's so many different options out there for people. So many different things to believe in. Why would anybody want to hear me evangelize or share? What do you believe about spiritual things? What do you think about Jesus? Well, when he sent the apostles out, they didn't just have the power of the living word. They had God's miracles, supernatural miracles following them. Now, that was helpful. When you have the gospel and the word of God and then the lame or, or Peter's shadow falling on the, the lame and the sick and they're getting up healed. Or you have people uh, exercising demons that nobody could do. So it helps to have this kind of power. And I, yes, it absolutely glorifies God in that way. But there's another way. There's another way that God manifests or displays his power. And it's not always the way that we would think to ask for. But it's this. It's in our weakness. It's in the things we can't do. It's in the things we, we failed to say. It's the times where we, we didn't have the energy. We didn't have the willpower to, to, to look or make God look good with our strength. We make God look good with our weakness because only God could do these things through us when people see our human weakness. There's got to be something else to that. When, when, when people see the change in our lives from, from wickedness to holiness or from hatred and, and, and murderous and slanderous nature to a kind word, how did that happen? The power of God. So... How much do we want God to be glorified? Because it may not just be the supernatural way. If we really want God to be glorified in our bodies, sure, I'd love to say that healing prayer and God would get the glory. But if I really want God to be glorified, am I welcoming the weakness manifestation of his glory? Think about Job. I think about this passage in this morning when I was going over and I thought, I mean, we, we can glorify God by him giving us all these things. And God gave Job tremendous riches, a big family, big fields, lots of property, lots of money, reputation. But then he took it all away. So Job glorified God with his generosity. He glorified God when he had all of these wonderful things. But what do you do when you take all that away? Then you have this person whose wife is saying, just curse God. And Job says, I will not. My Redeemer lives. And there he is, sick and stricken with boils, and he's lost everything he has. And he says, no, all I have is Christ. Okay, I'm, I'm adding New Testament words in there. All I have is God. My Redeemer lives. My hope is in him. My life is in him. He gives. He takes away. So be it. Now, did God get glory in a man who was brought about as low as you can get? And then he says, I will not curse God. In other words, no, I'm still living for him. I still love him and I still have my faith in him. That's another angle 
of a manifestation of the glory of God, what God can do in our hearts in that way. Paul adores God. And Paul understands this message. God loves us. God saves us. But our lives are not about us. Our lives are about God and His glory. He's the deserving one. He gets glory in my victories and He gets glory in my failures. He gets glory in my riches and He gets my glory, my praise in my poverty, in my embarrassment, whatever it may be, even when life hurts. Do we want God to be glorified so badly that that's the kind of people we are? Another reason it's worth it to Paul or he's renewed is that a strong church brings glory to God. Look what he says in verse 12. So death is at work in us, but life in you. See, he's pouring himself out for others. He's pouring himself out for the church. One of the reasons life is so hard is because all the things he's doing, not for himself, but for others. And if you have ever been in any kind of ministry or even just parenting... But in any kind of ministry, you'll know that you have to give of yourself, your time, your energy, your resources and whatever for other people's sake. And that's what the Apostle Paul and his team were doing. It's for it's it's all for your sake. Verse 15. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So I'm doing this for you, but it's ultimately not just about you. It's because I want to see you love and praise God because when you utter thanksgiving to God and then you start doing it and then more and more people do it, well, then God gets more glory. So, yeah, yeah, I'll give myself to that. I'll do that. I'll take one for the team. I'll deny myself. I won't get this so you can have it. It's that mindset. And, and by him giving of himself, well, the church is built up stronger and stronger. And more and more people are glorifying God. But that's what it takes sometimes. That's, the, that's another manifestation of the glory of God is when we diminish. That you might express gratitude to God, the giver of grace. You see, Paul's suffering... And diminishing, he, he's losing things, but he's getting what he wants the most in life. We're starting to get at the heart of the passage. What does he want the most in life? What, what could be more important than health? What could be more important than riches? The glory of God. So even in, in his suffering and his diminishing, he's getting what he wants because he's getting the glory of of God, And then third, resurrection brings glory to God in verse 14. I won't spend much time here because we've already talked about it. But knowing that he who has raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. And he's talking about resurrection. So no matter what suffering God ordains on earth, Paul knows it's got an end point to it. It's not going to go on and on and on. God's got a plan for it. God has a victory over it. And it's not just consolation. It's not just hold on, hold on. It is resurrection. All things are made new. 
And so he restores all things. And that renews Paul knowing this. So that's the, the, the therefore, the things that come before the pinnacle verse. That sidewall one, if you will, verses 7 through 15. But what's the other thing that holds up this high view of not losing a heart? Well, that's what comes after, 17 through 18. The first, the affliction. Paul looks at it as momentary and light. This, verse 17, light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. But first of all, it's momentary. That means it, the, the glory of God is going to outlive any affliction. The, the plan of God is going to go the distance and the affliction won't. The suffering's going to stop. God's going to see to that. So he knows it. So it doesn't consume his life. What consumes his life is God's plan, God's glory, how God wants to use it. And I, and I like this comparison. It's a very practical comparison. You know, and as people of the word that want to understand God and life, we need to look at things in this way. Okay, I have this temporary suffering and man does it hurt. But then when I look at eternity, there's an end to this. But when I look at eternity, that, that there's no end to it. It just goes on and on and on. And it's pleasant and it's delightful. And there's no pain and there's no suffering. All of a sudden, the way I look at things, the scales. Like, at first, my suffering was, I was obsessed with it. But now, I'm obsessed with this. I'm focusing on this. I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus and the things to come. And then all of a sudden, the, the, the thing that I thought would never change in my life is just not that important. It's still a part of my reality, but it's not the, the goal or the important part of my reality. So the, the, the things that we suffer in this life, we all have our story in this place. Just even in this small congregation, there is tremendous pain. People have experienced terrible things. But as believers, there's, a, there's something that we can do with that. God knows it. He, he understands it. And he doesn't want us to stay there. He wants us to see that his life and plan for us is way bigger than that. There's so much more to offer. And it extends into eternity. I like to think of it, the, the way Paul's looking at it, it's almost like if you had a, like a hundred pound bow, which I don't even know if I could pull back. But if you had a hundred pound bow, it's like the more you, you pull it back, Life is harder and harder and harder and it's more gruesome and terrible and terrible and terrible. But what's happening is, is you're, you're causing this tension that God's going to release one day and it's just going to, the far, the more you suffer, the more you give for Christ's sake, the farther you shoot into eternal, eternal glory. It's like, it's like this reason and this purpose here. It doesn't even compare. And then he looks at what's to come. As well, in verse 18, we look not to the things that are seen, but that are transient. The things that are unseen. Things that are eternal. So that's a very good practical way to look at our suffering. It's not the main thing. It seems like the main thing, but it's not the main thing. What to come is the main thing. We have a purpose 
in this. So even as believers, you know, what, what are we spending our time looking at? What are we spending our time thinking about? What are we consumed with? Did a baby make that noise? Neat. What a blessing it is if we think about perspective. We know who we are. Like all the big questions in life that just tear people apart. We know who we are. We know why we're here. We know what we're supposed to be doing with our lives. And we know where we're going. That, that, that should count for something. It should count for, for how we look and how we feel things that come our way. And I believe God intends it to be that way. So all of this to remind us that we are a people that know the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. So why do we even exist? For Him, Romans 11.36, as we wind it down. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things to Him be glory forever. Why am I even here? What am I doing in this world? Why do I exist? I exist for the glory of God. That's it. That, that's, that's, that's the meaning. That's the purpose. That's my end. To glorify and be with Christ, or as the Westminster Confession of Faith would say, to glorify and enjoy God forever and ever. So, therefore, I do not lose heart. So, so here's where it, it culminates. The question, it, what, what's happening in Paul's life is hard things and good things, but because what he wants in life more than anything, he understands his existence, and that's what he wants. I'm here to exist. I exist for the glory of God, and that's what I want to do with everything. He wants that more than his own personal health. He wants that more than his own personal safety. He puts himself in harm's way. He doesn't lift, listen to the prophet that says, but if you go to Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be tied up and bound. Okay, I'm going to Jerusalem. He keeps that perspective because I am here to glorify God. And so I will be weak. I'll be strong. I'll be bold. I'll be what God needs me to be to bring him glory. And when you have that eternal perspective, you don't lose heart. That's the story of the Christian. Are you a Christian this morning? Is that your story? Is that how you look life at life? Is that how you live life? Because if not, the little things that we seek and whatever is our focus will not satisfy us. We will continue to live that life that just always falls short. Always wanting, always Longing, whether we have riches or poverty, health or sickness. But when this is us, every breath we take, whether it's a hard labor breath or an easy breath, it's worth it. Why? Because we're glorifying 
God with it. May God bless the preaching of his word.